0: This is Coda Radio, episode 401 for February 15th, 2021. Well, hello there. Come on in and get cozy. It's Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by A Cloud Guru. A Cloud Guru now includes Cloud Playground, Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud Sandboxes on ACG's credit card. Not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at acloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us, like the host of a podcast that he is, it's Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Unauthorized recording detected. (laughs) Yeah, 401. I mean, how fun is that? 401. It's perfect. Now I'm psyched for 404. Like, that's going to be a good one. I think 404,
1: we should just actually put a broken link in the feed. Oh,
0: good. You know, if that somehow lined up with April Fool's or something, that'd be amazing. That would be choice. That would be choice. So uh, last week, previously on Coder Radio, uh, you had acquired a ThinkPad. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been stalking you on Twitter. And it seems like a journey has commenced for you. Curious how the initial Mike tries a ThinkPad uh, experiment is going. So I love the ThinkPad. Whoa! Okay, remind us which one you got.
1: uh it's a ThinkPad Yoga 380 or 360. It's it's a year old. It's not the latest model uh-huh. because I took advantage of the uh, they had a like forty percent discount for President's Day, and unfortunately, this is just a machine for a job, right? So, but I finally get it. I mean, you know, the People's Republic spies aside, great machine.
0: <laughs> okay, is this a two in one? Does it, like, fold around, this one?
1: It folds all the way back, and it has a built-in pen, yeah.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, rocking Windows 10, of course.
1: Windows 10 Pro, maybe, like a, like a baller.
0: <laughs> okay, all
1: right. Best Linux distro ever.
0: What's drawing you to this? Because, so I've got a couple of ThinkPads. Uh, so I, I think maybe I know, but give me an idea of what, what it is. To the ThinkPad in particular? Yeah, because, I mean, you could, you know, you could get any Windows laptop.
1: So I actually had it ordered a Dell XPS uh, 13 and through some shenanigans of chip shortages they amended the shipping date to be beyond when the project is supposed to start so i canceled that order yeah and i asked around on the twitters people keep recommending the thinkpads so it just so happened when i went to lenovo's website they were doing a present day sale and they could guarantee shipping within a week and it was like well if i buy this slightly older model that still looks pretty good and you know this is this is a cattle not a pet right it's not like you know so I just went with it. I was having a surprisingly hard time with boot camp on the iMac Pro. Just, it would crash every time it fell asleep. <laughs> Jeez. I kept uh, resetting the SMC controller, and then I found out that, like, I had to enable some crazy parallels mode to do WSL or any kind of other hypervisor on. So it was just like... Yeah. That's if you're running into VM, because I tried multiple things. I was just like, you know what? This is a Windows job. I need a Windows machine. Relative to the job, it's a small expense, right?
0: yeah yeah
1: and i've always resisted the thinkpad thing because of
0: well there's a lot of them
1: well i don't know if people remember this but they had a there was a scandal the right word
0: yeah that phishing attack thing right where they were intercepting or it was like a some bogus ssl or something it fades now
1: there was like they unknowingly were shipping chips they claim that had like cyber spying crap on it
0: i do remember vaguely now some spying thing
1: right chinese spies shocking
0: My problem is, and I I say this almost like it's, you know, like I'm, oh, I'm an old man. I can't figure it out. But, God, there's so many stupid models. Like I feel like since Lenovo took over, there's several versions of ThinkPads that aren't like the traditional ThinkPad I think of when I think of an IBM ThinkPad. They're more like different attempts that they tried. And I don't like them as much. And I don't know enough about the product lines to sort it all out. So you kind of just took a stab because, you mean, did you really know what you were getting when you picked this thing? Doesn't sound like it. So I needed something that
1: could turn into a tablet and do touch. So I had some limitations, right? There's the more traditional ThinkPad that doesn't do that. But no, I, I had no idea. I just had the Twitter folks telling me that ThinkPads are amazing. You know, go ThinkPad if you're going Windows.
0: Yeah, but usually that sentence is actually ThinkPads are great for Linux. But it makes sense they'd be good for Windows, too. I mean, it's just good hardware. Yeah.
1: Yeah, couple weird things, like the function key is where you think the control key should be. Yes. So you're constantly hitting it wrong. You can swap that in the BIOS. You can, yeah. You know, it's funny because I don't have a lot to say on it only because it's doing the job it's supposed to do and I don't have anything to complain about.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's exactly what you want from this type of device. So does it have enough horsepower for what you're doing?
1: So far, yeah. I mean, I I had to get the model they had in stock. I probably would have gotten a little more RAM. I only got 16 gigs. But to get the presidency discount, I had to go uh, with, it had to be a machine they had ready to ship.
0: It's interesting, too, because I guess I kind of wondered, coming from the M1 side of things, if it just would feel too sluggish, too old. So I guess my expectations are different because it's Windows, right? <laughs> no, no, I get you. It's like you're you're also, you're more used to it, right? And you haven't experienced Windows on an M1 before. And so it's, and I guess in a, in a sense, you have lowered expectations. lowered
1: expectations. Let's just do an example right now, right? I just popped open Spotlight instant. I hit the Windows key on the Lenovo. And yeah, there's like a second delay before it brings up the start menu,
0: right? But it's a work tool. Like, it's, yeah. It, you, I mean, like I, I, I go back and forth on this all the time because I want the ultimate performance, but I also need certain tools to do certain jobs. I was just wondering, because I saw you were tweeting about CAD, too, and I thought, oh, is that going to be enough to handle a CAD job?
1: <laughs> Probably not. I'm also in the market for a Windows workstation. Oh, my god! I mean, people have suggested I violate the Thaleo and just throw Windows on it, but then I got to set it up again, and it's like, ugh.
0: Oh, uh, that's true. You know, one way to maybe to do that, because that is a pretty good machine for that thing, would be maybe just get a new SSD. Thought about that. Yeah. But every time I open it, I break it. So, (laughs) yeah. uh, And I guess now this also means you're getting a chance to deep dive back into WSL and all of that goodness on the Windows side. I have to
1: say Penguin, uh, the WSL variant that I prefer, has come quite a ways. They fixed my Ruby on Rails problem. Granted, they had to write a special setup thing to fix it for uh, for Ruby Mine. You can go back maybe twenty episodes to hear about that. I mean, Windows Ten is it does the job, right? It's I don't know. Yeah, I can't say it's a pleasure to use because things that I think should be really like not slow, I, I, it kills me that the Start menu is, is slow to open. That like I don't get because <laughs> Spotlight on Mac is fast. The you know the. Uh, the dash or whatever they call it on Pop! OS is super fast, right? Mm-hmm. But the start menu just seems like laggy as hell.
0: Gotta be that built-in dynamic updating stuff that they have.
1: Yeah, but that seems like a bug, not a feature. But
0: Yeah, cache it. I'm sure they must, right? But, but in other ways, Windows often feels like it's one of the fastest operating systems at launching actual applications, like on the same machine, bit for bit. I swear sometimes Windows starts things twice as fast as other operating systems.
1: Fair point. And I will say, since I'm... Right now, developing .NET software, you can't beat Visual Studio. Like, as soon as I pop up Visual
0: Studio, Windows is, like, one of the best dev environments I've had in a long time.
1: (laughs) It's anything else I want to do, like
0: email crap. I had a good win this week because I successfully moved a workflow off of macOS. It was, like, a thing occasionally we would do where I would have to, like, update graphics in a motion template. And I managed to render out the things to video that I needed, and then I was able to put it together on Linux for the first time. So that was really nice because I'm always trying to evaluate how far I can push it. Because in the back of my mind recently, I've been thinking about what if I went all in on like a Ryzen fast system with a lot of CPU, a lot of GPU. And then I think the other thing that I've learned is really key is a minimum of 120 hertz monitor. I have a laptop in that I've been using, the Asus G14, and it has 120 hertz refresh rate. And oh man, everything is smoother. Moving windows around, turning in games, everything, scrolling, everything is faster and smoother. And I got it without having to switch to an M1 or anything like that. And it made me start thinking, because this thing's also a Ryzen based laptop. Maybe there's more to this than I've realized with this Ryzen stuff, because I've been on Intel forever, and I thought maybe if I built myself something that had like a minimum of 12 physical cores, uh, minimum 24 gigs of RAM, maybe 32 gigs of RAM, a modern graphics card if I could ever get my hands on it, uh, and 120 hertz display. Well, of course, I ended up over at the Thaleo configuration screen, naturally, uh, (laughs) specking, specking out of Thaleo, and it's – I don't want to say it's super expensive because it's cheaper than um, like a Mac Pro. But, it, you know, when you go with all these components, it, the price does get up there so fast. So I've been thinking about maybe I could do it in stages, like start with the monitor, replace that. That should make even my current system feel better. It's been an interesting discovery, though, just that that is a big deal that I didn't re- really appreciate because I hadn't tried it before. It makes everything better. <laughs> it's all better. You know what else makes everything better? A Coder Radio 400 poster for a limited time buying one right now. Yeah, we have this this one hasn't been selling like Gangbusters. We have had, we definitely sold a few, but uh I don't know. I mean, it's a great poster, but you got to you got to click the link in the show notes to get it cuz we have it over at tspring.com. It's a Coda Radio 400 word cloud poster to celebrate 400 episodes of the Coda Radio program, and every title we've ever had for all 400 episodes is in that word cloud. Plus it has that sharp the sharp new logo that we have that's Way better than the logo we had when the show started, you know, so that's nice to get that updated too. Uh, but maybe, maybe that hasn't sold very many because, oh no, rightfully so, oh, God. people are saving up for the coder. <sighs> the coder.shop. Hang on. I'm taking a swig of my drink here. Hang on. Like coder.shop. It was like, I can't remember, but like at least two grand maybe 4 grand for coder.shop but the coder.shop was on sale for like 3 bucks. <laughs> so anyways, I was like that's wild. I actually think depending on how the how the robe thing goes, I may get a lot more into swag. I've I really like making something and then selling it to the audience uh and I think maybe we found a cool company to work with. We'll see. We'll see. This is a very much a learning process. I could really really get screwed on the international shipping so i've recently adjusted the price a little bit i'm trying to get quotes for various areas but they won't give me any estimate unless i have addresses so thankfully a couple of audience members have graciously shared their addresses with me so i can get some international estimates but we have rolled out the robe it's called the coder it's beautiful it's all black with an all-white coder radio logo over the left chest and it's 65 bucks it's a great price uh then there is a uh, like Five for domestic shipping. We'll check the site for international. and making adjustments. thecoder.shop. If there's something that comes up with the international shipping, though, we will totally communicate it with you. So don't worry about that. We will let you know for sure. But we will target the second week of March for shipping. So you've really got to get these orders in soon the end of the month we're going to really february 28th we're really going to close it down because we got to give the company time to embroider them they do that here in the states and then they get shipped out so it's the coder.shop and yes it is a coder radio robe i'm getting one for me i'm getting one for the kid. get one for mike and i'm gonna get one for west too you know what i just noticed about the robes
1: that i never noticed before What's that? They have big pockets, so you can have, like, a uh, Western Digital or whatever, Seagate Drive, <laughs> just with your, like, alternative OS, you know?
0: Yeah, he's totally. You could have, or maybe a bottle of beer or something. I mean, they'll, they'll fit a bottle in there. It's, a small uh, handle of gin, maybe, like a little... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally would, man. And I, I, I mean, and why not, right? Save some time. Why carry stuff? I mean, it just makes you more productive. Be productive and be comfortable. The coder.shop. Pretty excited about that. And what I learned from that... Well, you'll see where that goes. Like, maybe JB will have uh, some reoccurring swag. Th- well, not reoccurring, but, like, I'm going to go for nice, cool items. Like, stuff that stuff that you're hopefully not seeing a lot of in other places whenever possible. That's why we wanted to start with the ropes. Check it out, thecoder.shop. <laughs> Woo! Head over to linode.com slash coder and get a $100 60-day credit for a new account. And then you can really check out Linode. Now, I've I've mentioned them. We talked about how we use them here on the show a lot. But something that I think you could look at if you are toying around with setting up a new WordPress site, if you're like me, there's a lot of advantages to WordPress, but you have a little bit of concern potentially about the performance. Well, Linode has something really cool, and I experimented with a lot of different stacks, and I hands down found this to be the absolute fastest way to run a WordPress site because it integrates the web server and the cache into one. It's the Open Lightspeed WordPress one-click deployment on Linode. It gives you access to the Open Lightspeed web server. Of course, it has PHP and MySQL server and WordPress. And it works with its own cache to make WordPress crazy fast. And it gives you a bunch of good analytics and all of that, and you can do one-click deployment over on Linode. They give you 11 different data centers to deploy from, so you can get it right nice and close to your customers or clients or to yourself. And, of course, they've got block storage, so you could conceivably then hook up the back end of that WordPress using block storage and just get things really flying. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do at Linode. They give you this beautiful and easy-to-use cloud management dashboard that lets you manage all of this stuff. But if you want to just get behind the scenes and tweak with stuff a little bit, they totally enable that. They, and they, they pretty much, they provide you the documentation. They started in 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing. They didn't like just start doing a million different things. Linode focused in on several things that they could do really well, and that's what they've done. Virtualized Linux, that's really fast, super reliable, and has great networking and native SSDs. That's their bag. Right. They've been doing this since before anybody, AWS, Google, other enterprise providers. They've been doing this for a long time and they really honed what they do. And they're independently owned still, which I think is fantastic and gives me a lot of peace of mind. And then they combine all of that with like the best support. If you've got a huge account or a small account, just the best support. And you can get a little glimpse of what I'm talking about by signing up today at linode.com slash coder. Get a $100 60-day credit on your new Linode account, and you support the show. Unlike entry-level hosting providers that try to lock you in, they're just doing a really great job of standing up Linux servers and either making it as easy as you'd like or to go as deep as you'd like. So get started right now. Linode.com slash coder. Hmm, what do you think about some feedback? Now that... Uh, now that we've gotten all that all that out of the way,
1: <laughs> I just hope they don't
0: ask for more robes. I mean, we'll see. Hopefully, this robe thing doesn't uh, doesn't put me in the in the streets. <laughs> I mean, the robes are black, but it could put you in the red, right? Right, exactly. Gabriel wrote in uh, and he says, "I'm not really quite sure what your problem is. Uh, the leadership for the Rust Foundation hasn't really changed. The project's been following that model for years now with relatively small changes, and it seems to have worked." Why are you worried it wouldn't? So last week, we mentioned the Rust Foundation, and I said, God, I'm just, I'm a little concerned that the way they have this is about, you know, 5,000 chefs in the kitchen. You remember that? You remember that conversation? <laughs> I do remember it. Here's my thought. Just because it has worked and it does work today, I don't think that necessarily demonstrates that it's going to scale much larger. We We shall see. That's what was my only pause is like, how do you take something where it's essentially it's... Everyone gets a vote, which is good in a lot of ways, but without a structured system to it, it really seems like it could it could have the Debian effect times 10. But, um, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. And I'm not going to wish the worst. I, I actually hope it all works great, and I'd love to see it work out. I think it'd be a fantastic way for a project like Rust to be run. Moving on. I also was talking last week about RSS, trying to write a little bit of a love note to what I think really makes the web great chuck writes and he says you know rss is the best but not every site supports it so i rolled my own <laughs> i use wget plus bash to implement an rss like feed on my DigitalOcean droplet it's the title of the article itself plus a button to go get the article no pictures no tracking just the feeds ma'am it updates at the top of the hour so i'm never tempted to check over and over again at nauseam Oh, I like that too, Chuck. That's a good way to go. You avoid the scroll or refresh of Doom that way. You know, if you've read through it, you got to wait a little bit. I like that. I like rolling your own solution. I think that's pretty great. If you have any RSS tricks out there, do let us know. I, I love I love talking about that stuff. But now we have a problem to solve, and this will be the meat of our feedback this week. Linux Bytes writes in, hey, guys, maybe you can help me. I'm a Linux sysadmin by day and a coder at night. I've been working with Linux for some years and working in a data center as a Linux sysadmin. I'm very grateful to have a good paying job, and I don't want to be ungrateful, but I do love to code, and I would like to move over into more of a programming role full time. Working here is good where it does work, but it takes just a bit of my time away from what I really want to do, which is... Programming, But I am concerned about a couple of things. How can I make a move without taking a massive pay cut and benefits? Plus, I'm worried that my experience isn't really that that much on paper. I have experience, but mostly it's in the sysadmin area if you look at a resume. He's wondering if maybe he should first try to focus on a specific skill or area. He says, I use Python today, a little bit of JavaScript and Bash and Git, of course. Uh, I've been using Python for a really long time basically before it was even a thing. And I was thinking, though, if I wanted to get paid well, I should move more into back-end stuff, like working with C for the kernel or perhaps a dynamic language. But I don't want to invest my time in the wrong spot. I want to make a wise transition. My job is not a face-to-face style job, and I like that. It's mostly nice for my mental well-being, and I work in an environment with email teams and calls just fine. I'm not sure if I'm over my head. Maybe I'm being silly here. The grass is greener sort of thing. Any feedback would be helpful. Thanks again, Linux Bytes. Okay, that's a lot to unpack there. Starting with, I guess, why not focus on Python? I mean, not to make this the Python show, but does that stand out to you? Yeah,
1: it's a little weird because he says backend, but Python primarily is used as a backend language. Right. Uh, When I say primarily, before people jump down my throat doing embedded, I would care to wager the majority of folks doing python are probably doing like flask django fast api stuff like that like backend services right i think he means something different by back-end though chris i think he means a lower level
0: yeah like kernel stuff and driver stuff
1: right i mean the answer to this question is kind of lame there's no reason you can't do python and have a good living right unless the reason is you don't like doing python right yeah. If you enjoy working on lower level code, more you know, down to the hardware, memory management, stuff like that, then obviously do what you want. I mean, look, I do Python, I do Ruby. Right now I'm doing a bunch of .NET where I'm about to be shortly because, I don't know, I'm you a know, soldier of fortune here, right? <laughs> I don't mean to diminish the question at all, and I, and I hope the writer doesn't take it this way, but you're going to change technologies a lot in your career especially if you're like a freelancer or like in the, you know, small consulting business.
0: Yeah. I think he's in like a resume mindset. Res, okay. You know what I mean? Like, how do I, how do I market myself? Well, then Python is great,
1: right? Because there's so many opportunities right now in Python. They may not be necessarily the highest paying opportunities because it is a fairly common language. But if you're just looking that you need to get some work, there's absolutely no reason Python's not a good choice. Um, If you just think about All the uses of Python, right? You have TensorFlow, you have Flask, you have Django, you have all the embedded stuff. You have all the crazy data science stuff. By that, I don't mean TensorFlow again. I mean, like, the stuff that, like, actual, like, research universities are using. Is it Jupyter Notebooks? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. I I guess I would, wonder what your take is, Chris? Because I feel like maybe he doesn't like Python, and that's kind of the issue.
0: I wonder, though, because, you know, he says he's been following it and dabbling with it since, really, it was even, you know, just a glimmer, but... I kind of wonder if he isn't isolating these too much fat cat in our chat room puts it well. He says, you could kind of bring it together, bring more scripting into your sysadmin life so you can then bring programming into your career and maybe move into a DevOps role, because there are absolutely roles out there where you need to have a good skill set in both of these areas. That's becoming super common.
1: No, that's great advice. Right. And again, for that scripting kind of stuff, Python is actually a fabulous choice.
0: Yeah, I could totally see in that work for him. Also, I don't mean to like to like talk down when I say, you know, why not do both because and, and make it sound simple because I do totally get where you're at. And I know that you're trying to think about it from a marketable kind of sell yourself to a to a higher standpoint. And it, when you say, well, bring them both together and do a little programming and sysadmin, it's so nebulous. And you're like, OK, well, how, how do I refine that into a message? I think you're just not at that stage yet you're just not quite there yet. And the good news is, is it doesn't sound like you are in any kind of urgency. You know, you're not out of work. You, you have a job that's paying you sufficiently and it has benefits that cover you sufficiently. So you actually have a little bit of time to play with here. And so you may just not have it quite refined yet, but it, I, I think you'll get there if uh, you, if you just sort of embrace it and, and our advice is, is, you know, become one with the snake.
1: Yeah. Or if you really want to, you know, Be pure in heart and soul. Objective C is still around.
0: (laughs) There it is. There it is. Every episode, you (laughs) got to get one. Uh, uh, Before we uh, move on, because, you know, we've gotten so many emails since the show's been back about keyboards. Did you catch that System76 updated their GitHub repo, and now we have way more details on their new keyboard that they're working on? I did catch it. I thought I was dreaming, but I did catch it. No surprise. They're going to be building these in the U.S., in Denver. They're calling it the System76 Launch Configurable Keyboard. It says uh, it'll have an open-source design down to the PCB, open-source firmware, milled aluminum chassis, and that it will support the Linux vendor firmware service, which is great for Linux users. People love that kind of stuff. It's going to have USB-C and USB-A. The key switches can be swapped with any MX-compatible footprint. I think this is brilliant from their standpoint. There are people who are running Windows that will want to buy this thing. It's you know built in the U.S. That checks a box, all of that. Uh, it, it re- of course, it'll come down to the feel, but um, I'm kind of excited about this. I think just based on the amount of conversation that we got out of mechanical keyboards, it's clear this is a market. <laughs> this is a market here. And uh, it's obviously also a pretty good first step into building a laptop, you know, master the keyboard manufacturing process first. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick one of these up. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's just basically it, isn't it? That's basically it. I mean, I want to try it out. I don't want to say
0: too much until I get my hands on it. Well, yeah, yeah, it could be uncomfortable to type on, you know, I mean, it's unlikely, but that could theoretically happen. So I agree with you. It is exciting to see that to see that in the works. Yeah, it looks impressive. I
1: mean, I think the challenge is, do they gear it too much towards Pop OS, or do they just make a really good mechanical keyboard for you know all operating systems, right?
0: If they get it right, the sweet spot will be totally works with any Linux or probably even Windows, but if you do use it with Pop OS, you get a couple of sweets. Yeah, and it could be a gateway drug to Pop OS. Oh, totally. Or just System76 in general, I mean. Right, even if you just buy their hardware. So that's going to be neat. Since the show rebooted, I have a total new appreciation for keyboards. I kind of feel a little bad for not taking it more seriously sooner because I, I mean, my RSI is such a huge deal for me. I'm constantly battling that. But also it's something I, I'm touching and interfacing with all day long. <laughs> so why not make it nice? It just didn't make any sense. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see them get into this. If you would like to email the show, ask us a question, follow up on anything that we talk about in this show. We would really like to hear from you. It's a big part of what we do, and I know it takes a minute to sit down and actually go do that and write it out. So I, I, I it's a big ask, but we really appreciate it, and it makes the show a lot better, and it keeps us feeling like we're connected to you. So go to coder.show slash contact for that, and let us know what you think about anything that we've talked about here on the Coder Radio podcast because uh, we like hearing from you, and we are about to get into the hoopla, so there will probably be plenty of things for you to respond to. Datadog.com slash radio This here episode is sponsored by Datadog. They are the unified monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your cloud, into your on-premises setup. If you have a hybrid setup, multi-cloud environment, they can monitor all of it. And when I say the entire stack, I'm talking about key Linux performance metrics or whatever your server OS might be. They have tons of integrations into applications themselves. And of course, they get insights into the container. They have an agent you can install that was recently rewritten in Go that's super simple to deploy. And then you get these dashboards. You got to check out these dashboards, datadog.com slash CoderRadio. And if you set up even one dashboard in part of the trial, going to that URL gets you a shirt after you set up that dashboard. But I'm talking beautiful visibility, and visualizations that help you communicate to your development team or to your sysadmins or to your stakeholders, people that need to make decisions. This is the kind of data you get from this is decision-making data. Just the ability to quickly analyze performance of all of your servers and applications in real time and then build a dashboard where you can get a unified view of, say, metrics from this application or traces from these logs all in one place. And then, like I said, with those integrations, you can pull in a lot of different things that you would probably not normally even consider getting insights into that can give you a more complete picture. Get full stack visibility and get an idea of the health and performance of your entire infrastructure. So start your free Datadog trial today by going to datadog.com slash CoderRadio. That lets them know you are it here, you know, supports the show, keeps us going. And also, means if you set up a one dashboard after you go to datadog.com slash CoderRadio, you get that free t-shirt, datadog.com slash CoderRadio. There is some things I want to talk to you today about, but it feels like maybe I'll give an honorable mention to the Python Software Foundation's news. They just got a big check from your buddies over at Google, and they're going to use that to pay for a practically full-time developer. In addition... They're going to use that to develop malware detection for Pi PL, which I actually don't know what that is, uh, and do dynamic analysis of infrastructure based on this money that Google's cutting them. Good. I mean, that all sounds great. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's always good when people get on the Google teat, right? I mean, it worked out really good for Mozilla. Oh, wow. I really thought you wouldn't go there. I'm sure it's good. No, it's good.
1: I mean, it's good until, you know two and a half to three to four years.
0: Yes. I feel like I have to say it's good. Otherwise I become every time something like this happens, I'm bad take guy. And I don't want to, I don't want that to be my thing on the show, but I think I'm getting real cynical about this stuff. You know, when I see a big check like this, I, I what I see is, uh, is influence purchasing. And I know I shouldn't, but mm, that's what I see. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why I'm keeping my mouth a little shut. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, kind of necessary. Like somebody needs to pay for this work. Some developers
1: got to eat too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Google definitely has a big Python investment, right? We used to make fun that their Google support was the Python script that basically was a a big uh, if then if else tree that at the end said go go f off, right? Like so.
0: Yeah, they write on their post uh, that they not only use it internally for their own development, but they say it's a crucial part of products that they offer to Google customers, and so that's one of the reasons Google is stepping up. I, you know what, this is, if you got a lot of money and you are dependent on the stuff, that's probably exactly what you should be spending your money on. So I shouldn't criticize. It's just that cynical nature of that. I I, I just can't help these days. That's what happens when you reach 400
1: episodes, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. You and I are jaded old men who are like, you know, we're the guys at the end of the bar, just bitching and moaning about everything. Right,
0: right. Well, okay. So while we're talking about Google, there is another bit of hoopla that I thought was sort of embarrassing for them. They have this problem. Uh, they they really have been tiptoeing around trying to punt and kick the can for as long as possible. And that is Apple has implemented like these nutrition labels for privacy in the iOS app store. (laughs) Nutrition labels or screw you, Google and Facebook labels, man. Right. And so Facebook's approach was like, oh, oh, well, we're just going to have a horrible report and we're just going to push forward. Did you miss the news today? What? Zuck and Tim Cook had a little sit
1: down and it did not go very well. I did not see this. Oh, man. Apparently Leaked reporting says Zuck came out of it saying we have to inflict a maximum pain on Apple.
0: I did see that headline, though. I just didn't read the story. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. the whole, So it's basically Tim Cook just said no. <laughs> no. Like, we're not going to change anything.
0: Man. So Google has been kicking this can because they didn't want their apps to get labeled as you know privacy. Uh, and because I think it comes down to even some of... Some of what like the SDKs might do for analytics are considered invasive by Apple, probably rightfully so. I mean, what's Google doing? They're making money off watching your behavior and monitoring your data. So they've been kicking the can so long that apparently built into the apps was a warning about it being out of date. And so people on iOS that would say launch the Gmail app started getting a error in the application that said this app is out of date. It goes on to say, you should update this app. Although, of course, you couldn't because Google hadn't done any updates. Then it says, the version you're using doesn't include the latest security features to keep you protected. Only continue if you understand the risk. That is at the top of the Gmail app when you launch it. I at the login page, and it's just, it's it's hilarious. And Google had to do a server-side tweak to make this thing stop showing up to users. Yeah. Today... They've begun trickle updating apps into the iOS app store, starting with the YouTube app and uh, music, TV and studio, I think, are also getting updated. Like, well, they're probably even more by the time this episode goes out. But this really seems to have screwed up their game. I don't know. I guess when these stupid nutrition labels were announced, I just went, "Okay, yeah, I mean, it's a nicer way to visualize the information. But it has clearly messed with Zuck and Google's game here.
1: Well, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna push back on you a little bit. I don't think they're stupid, right? I think to people like us and listeners of the show, they're obviously stupid because we knew what was going on. But I'm telling you, like if my mom ever updates the apps on her iPhone. Oh, page, you mean the labels themselves? Yeah. I think she would crap her pants, right? <laughs> like if it popped up and said, you know, I'm tracking your location, the other websites you visit, um, your shopping preferences. Uh, Every song you listen to, I might track you even through private browsing mode. Mm. And for our younger listeners, particularly teenage boys, private browsing mode does not do what you think it does. (laughs) Be careful. Yeah, you just shouldn't be doing that. But that's Mike's conservative note for the
0: day. Use a dedicated browser, kids. Kids, that's what Internet Explorer was built for. Oh, God, no. (laughs) No. Yeah, okay. I I guess I shouldn't call them... Silly. I, I mean, I guess I just didn't really consider it much when they were announced. Well, I think because you know too much, right? I think the
1: average, I'm, I'm serious about this. I think the average user just thought like YouTube was this cool free website and app they could use. But if they know that it's actually not free, that you're paying, it's one thing to say that you pay with your data, but to list it out in an- <laughs> just an amazing bullet point list that Apple gives you. <laughs> right. I mean, it's horrendous.
0: Are they the good guy here? I guess, right? Good well, as a point of view. But <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: I mean, Apple would much prefer everybody charge you $10 a month and they get 30% of that. Of course. And not do this tracking, right?
0: And I thought I would prefer that until I ended up having so many damn subscriptions that I, I, I feel like I'm overwhelmed by the amount of subscriptions I have.
1: I have been mercilessly cutting subscriptions, except, of course, for Unfiltered Show on Patreon.
0: Oh, oh, oh wow. Wow. Really? I have this situation where I am the family card on the iCloud stuff. So anybody who buys anything has to use my card, which means that if the number needs to be verified, they have to track me down. But it also means that my mom, like any purchase she makes goes, because I made her a family member to, for for the obvious reasons of the benefits you get. And, but anytime she buys music or or anything, <laughs> any app, it's it's charging to my card. And it's really annoying. It's just so annoying. Like, yeah, they get some things right. And I, I appreciate these changes, but man, there's so many areas that could still be improved. And I kind of appreciate them doing this, I suppose. But Microsoft is just going, they're just going the completely different direction. They're just saying, screw it. We're not going to play that game. And uh, they have released the X Cloud beta for web. That is their Xbox game streaming service as a web application and they are indeed specifically targeting iPad OS and iOS. Now you remember uh, there was a bit of a a brouhaha in August of uh, 2020 when first Apple said no, you're not going to have XCloud on here. Go screw yourself. Then they updated their policies to allow XCloud onto the platform, but then informed Microsoft that they would have to submit each game available on XCloud individually to the App Store so that Apple could make sure each game met the, the App Store's guidelines. <laughs> In other words, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like they don't make Netflix submit every movie. That's so stupid. Uh, anyway, so Microsoft noped out and they begun working on this xCloud web app and now they've launched the service. You you know, you have to be like a member and you have to somehow get this. You have to be an Xbox Games Pass ultimate subscriber and all these all these things, speaking of subscriptions, but I totally called this when this whole thing went down on the show. I said, this is what they should do. And here they are actually doing it. And GeForce now also does it, which I have used on the iPad with a Bluetooth controller. I have played freaking Windows Steam games on my freaking iPad with a freaking controller using GeForce now. Okay. If you haven't tried this, it's not bad. If you have a decent connection, it's not bad. I'm still super skeptical of all this stuff just because of
1: the vast majority of the country that has crappy internet <laughs> and I know I say yeah. this like every two weeks now, but ah no that's true until we can get some sort of like big government program to just lay fiber everywhere I don't believe in any of this and I know you love stadia your buddy Elon's
0: working on Starlink yeah right
1: okay hey speaking of failed projects
0: yeah yeah TensorFlow with Swift What do you think about this?
1: I think swift on the server in general has been a miserable failure and i'm someone who financially supported vapor which was a swift on the server project and it's sad because it really should have been a contender to rust and go particularly go i kind of feel
0: yeah it could have been a contender
1: you know i think because it's apple's language it's too tied to ios yeah and this, the backend development community just didn't take it seriously there was that whole IBM partnership that basically just
0: died in the cradle. I think it's it's a lot of things, obviously, but a couple that stand out to me is so much momentum in other areas, and you have server space players like Google that are backing Go, and that has a ton of weight behind it. But I think you nailed it. It's just Swift is it's too focused on iOS. But the dream early on, in the early days of Swift, it kind of made sense in a way because you could use swift bolt for the front end and the back end and you could see how that could be compelling to somebody who just develops in that ecosystem and it makes it easy to run swift apps on a mac you know first for a mac server which is a thing that happens in schools is they have servers that they call servers that are actually macs and you could run it on that or you could run on a linux box and then you could deploy it on ios or the mac desktop if you were in that ecosystem I, i saw it i could see how it made sense yeah, you will you will pry that Xserve from your local public school district's cold dead hands,
1: right? <laughs> They've had it for fifteen years, and god damn it, they're keeping it.
0: There was literally in Linux five eleven that released on Sunday of this week. There is an update in there for the SMC controller in the Apple Xserve. <laughs> oh no, I'm not joking. Like schools still use Xserve. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's not a joke at all. Like they they really do.
0: Yeah, and actually. They were really badass in two ways. They had really cool airflow design, but also they had CPU monitor LED lights on the front of the case that showed you the CPU load of the server, which is a cool idea. Should we maybe explain what XServe is for our younger listeners? Right, the the Apple XServe. So when Apple got into uh, Intel chips, when they switched over to Intel chips from PowerPC, a little while after that, Came their first Intel server called the Xserve, and it was probably a two U. I can't remember exactly what the size of it was. They're two U. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, I'm talking on my arse. They had a they had a power PC version of it. That's right. They had a. In fact, that was one of the reasons they had to update the cooling. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it came out with the Intel transition. No, no, I remember now. Yeah, they had a they had a power PC version. But it was the Xeon line that I think people people like that's what you'll find on eBay now. Yeah. They had like a 2006, 2008, and 2009 model. It was first introduced in 2002, and you can imagine it's kind of expensive because it was Apple. But they really focused in on making Mac OS a server version of it with an LDAP directory and everything. And then you could later on you could get a storage connection that was fiber connected and really fast and they made several of them for you know for a while. I mean, the, the the product ran from 2002 to 2009. Then they finally they finally killed it off. They even made a like a cluster version. If you were going to use it in in a in a cluster, you could get the G4 cluster node, and that was one that was designed just like no CD-ROM drive. Certain connectivity was gone. Only one disk spot, but it was you could buy a bunch of them if you were. <laughs> you could network them together in a cluster. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then they and then they had the LED lights on there. Uh and it was actually it was cool. It was it was a pretty good product in in a lot of ways. It was built really well. I ended up having a couple of clients that had them and I was always impressed by them and I ended up even putting Gen2 Linux on a couple of them and it ran great.
1: <laughs> yeah, well they were
0: really big in the education space
1: too, right? Like a lot of schools ran their entire system off of Xserve.
0: I had a client that was a it was a final cut shop and what they did all day long was edit video for court cases. And so they were they were an XServe user, and they had a couple of them. And a, that big storage array that they had, too, which back then, you know, was only a few terabytes, but it, it was amazing. <laughs> a terabyte? What? Several, I think. I think it was like two, two terabytes. So watch out. You know, that's going to last forever. <laughs> uh, before we go, thank you to our members over at uh, coderqa.co. You make this show possible. You get a limited ad feed as a member. And you also get the Coderly that comes out once a quarter. So get that, support the show, and get that limited ad feed at coderqa.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here today?
1: Uh, just follow me on Twitter, at Dumanuko. And uh, if you have not seen WandaVision, seriously.
0: Yes. Been, I, I'm, I'm not, I haven't finished it yet. Really enjoying that. also, clever. Like, I think if this is what the Marvel Universe TV series are going to be like, they're they're going to be a hit.
1: Disney Plus is going to drink the blood of Peacock.
0: Yes. Yeah. I finally just started The Expanse, by the way. Oh, how is it? Really good. I just got into season two of it, so I'm really early into it. But what I find really nice about it is it is really good at building the world. It feels like a real place. It just... Everything in it feels legitimate. The characters seem real, the, the environment, the context. And then the other thing, and this isn't a spoiler that I really like about it, is it all, as far as I know, <laughs> I don't know, but it all takes place in our solar system. So unlike Star Trek or Star Wars where they're, you know, warping across the uh, galaxy, this is all just right here in our backyard. And I love that concept because it is so big and mm. there's a lot you could do with that. So it's a pretty fun series. So those are there you go. Those are two show picks, I guess. <laughs> Check it out. And you know what? Ironically, then, like a chaser, I follow with a little bit of Seinfeld these days, which holds up. It does, and it reminds you of better days. Or
1: if you're our age, you think the '90s were better days. So.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, you can also find Mike's company at the Mad Botter Inc. on Twitter. I'm at Chris Last. The network is at Jupiter Signal, and of course the show is at Coder Radio Show. Links to what we talked about today, well, that's at our website, coder.show slash 401. you also find the contact form. You really like it when you get a hold of us, as well as our RSS feed over there so you can subscribe. And why not join us live on Mondays? We do it at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program, and we'll see you right back here next week.